Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Welcome to Series 5 of Conversations with Annalisa Barbieri. I had the idea for this episode one evening whilst crossing a courtyard in London. Not any old courtyard, but one off the various inns where barristers work. It just hit me how important belonging is, possibly because I felt very much an outsider in such a place. The question of belonging is one I see come up on social media every now and again. A recent one was, does anybody else feel they don't quite belong? It's a question I've chewed on myself. What does it mean anyway to belong? This is what my specialist for this episode, Mark Varmeyer, and I discuss. Mark is a UKCP registered integrative psychotherapist who is very psychologically informed. Mark was born in England to a Dutch father and an English mother, but moved extensively as a child. He is a third culture kid and we'll discuss what this means in more detail in this episode. We also look at how important attachment is in determining how much we feel we belong or don't, how self-esteem also impacts and how very important human connection is to psychologically tether us to a sense of belonging. We also look at why you might feel you don't belong in the very place you think you might have an automatic right to in your own family. If you'd like to listen to this podcast ad-free and before it goes on general release, please consider becoming a patron from just £3 a month or you can give a one-off donation via ACAST supporter. Both links will be in the episode description. Mark, hello and welcome to this episode. We've spoken a lot in the past about belonging. What does it mean to belong? I think that's a wonderful question, Annalisa. I mean, on the most primal level, I think our sense of belonging from when we are born is to our family, our family of origin. So by that, I mean parents or our primary caregivers. And our survival is contingent on having that sense of belonging with them, which in psychological language we quite often refer to as attachment. So we attach to these primary caregivers and we grow up in a world, or another word for that might be a culture, of their making, where we learn right or wrong, we learn how we derive self-esteem, we learn how to receive love within the context of that culture, of that family. So I think that's our primary sense of belonging. But of course, our parents or our primary caregivers 
are part of a broader culture, a broader cultural context, whether that's a broader family, that might be a broader community. And for most people, that's part of being having an identity in the context of being a certain nationality, whether that is English or Dutch or Portuguese or, or whatever it might be. So I think probably the best way of starting to think about this is a bit like ripples on a pond. If we throw a pebble into a pond, the first ripple would be the immediate family from whom we derive our sense of belonging. And then one could say perhaps that beyond that is the broader family, perhaps aunts and uncles and grandparents. And then beyond that, there might be the context of a community and that old expression that it takes a village to raise a child. And then we might be thinking about regional belonging. You know, what does it mean to be from a particular region in a country and how is that region defined all the way through to nation? And then I think there are other elements to that which have been very important throughout our history, which are religion, which isn't exclusive to culture. And race would come into that as well, of course. But I think um, the way we're perhaps starting to have this conversation, you and I, is around the sort of more existential aspects of belonging and how we get a sense of what it means to belong and who we are in that context. I think it's very tied up with identity as well. Yes, because my next question was going to be, how do we know if if we belong? And following on from that, how does it feel to belong? Mm. I think if we map that onto attachment, somebody who knows that they belong, what we can say from that is that they know they exist. They know they have an identity. They know they are related to as an individual. They know that they have a right to their feelings and their experience. And in broad terms, we would probably label that person then in the context of their primary carers securely attached. So I think we could say, well, that person, that young person is able to derive a sense of belonging and express themselves freely within the culture that that family creates. Now, beyond that, obviously, thinking about these ripples on the ponds, I think it starts to get more complex, but fundamentally, arguably more interesting as well, in that as we start to develop and go through our teenage years, we start to look increasingly outside of the family and ask a question of ourselves, well, who am I? What is my identity? And most teenagers, if they were anything like myself, then will have tried on all sorts of different metaphorical hats or symbolic hats of, well, you know, whether that's expressed in fashion or music or the type of friends we have or the sorts of behaviours we engage in, in order to try and get a sense of, yeah, this is who I am, this is my identity. On a more profound sort of existential level, I think belonging means living in the context of a culture. And one of the main attributes of culture is that it enables us to derive self-esteem by engaging in acts that are culturally sanctioned. Mark, you mentioned about if you're somewhere where you belong, you can express yourself freely. I still don't really understand how belonging feels. Would you feel safe? Would you feel seen? Because I can express myself freely in situations where I don't feel I belong. Mm -hmm. So how does belonging feel to you? I think that belonging is very strongly tied in with the concept and feelings that we derive from self-esteem. So in my view, self-esteem is of existential importance. It's literally about life or death. And I think it's where we gain a positive sense of our worth and our value within a cultural context. So back to your question and specifically about feeling. I think it's a feeling where we feel 
valued, we feel worthwhile, we feel that what we have to offer, whether that's verbally or in a broader context of a work offering or relationship, is again a value, it's going to be appreciated, and that there's a feedback system within which we are operating. So therefore, what we offer or what we say, the culture that we exist in mirrors back to us that that is something that is valued and appreciated. Now, I think the example you just gave, Annalise, is a good one because those of us who have got a decent, healthy level of self-esteem can venture outside of our comfort zone and encounter difference, whether that's difference in opinion or difference in culture, and not necessarily feel threatened by that and be curious about that difference because it doesn't undermine our self-esteem. I think there are probably all sorts of reasons for that. Some of those will go back to childhood in a sense of feeling secure enough in our attachment to our primary caregivers, our parents, but perhaps also because we derive an ongoing self-esteem from the culture, in the broadest sense of the word, within which we live. You've mentioned attachment and yeah. primary caregivers. What would you say to people who say, and I get letters like this, that they don't belong in their own family? I mean, not people who have been adopted, who that may be a slightly understandable feeling, but sometimes mm. people just, you know, we, we've not long had Christmas and people say, I just don't feel like I really belong. What might be going on there? Um, I think the example of Christmas is a really powerful one, isn't it? Where these, sometimes these feelings of not belonging can become amplified, where for the rest of the year we're able to suppress them to some degree. So what might be going on where people don't feel like they belong in their families? I think that's a sense of, we can map that onto attachment theory, where somebody feels insecurely attached, that they've never really been felt validated or felt received for who they are. They've never really been able to express themselves freely because let's remember that the essence of real relationship is not similarity. It's actually the ability to tolerate difference. So when we encounter somebody different to us, if we're comfortable enough on ourselves and we can be curious enough about them and hopefully they'll be curious enough about us. And from that, we can derive a sense of truly being in relationship with somebody because despite the difference, there's a willingness to bridge that gap. Now, children learn this in an ideal or at least a good enough environment from a parent who will validate their experience. But validating a child's experience doesn't mean giving into the child, doesn't mean telling the child that they're perfect and they're always right. It means saying to a child, I can understand that you might feel this way or I can understand you've got a curiosity about that. However you're still going to have to do X or Y or whatever it might be. So what that parent is doing is saying, look, I can empathise with you, but it doesn't mean that I agree with you. And it doesn't mean that you're necessarily going to get your way. Children who grow up in that kind of environment tend to, by and large, feel securely attached, which means that they know they're loved. They know that they are seen as a whole person and they can venture fairly far from the family. It's safe for them to leave the family because they're not ostracized, they're not mm. cast out. Whereas in some families, there seems to be an unwritten rule that, well, you're either like us or you're against us. You either mm -hmm. think the same way, you either vote the same way, you either, going back to your example of Christmas, Annalisa, you either want to celebrate Christmas in the way the family always has, or else there's something wrong with you. And so I think that's 
the core of often what brings people to therapy is, well, this seems to be how my family thinks and operates. So an example of that might be in some families, feelings simply aren't spoken about. It's unacceptable or there isn't even a language for feelings. So facts are spoken about, rationality is prized, but nobody ever tells each other how they feel. And if somebody has an emotional language or starting to develop an emotional language born off the back of having a need to express themselves, those needs probably aren't going to be met in the family. And they come into therapy and that's a language that we work to develop in therapy because all of us therapists, I think, I think it's fair to say, would prize feelings highly and that we believe that the expression of feeling enables people to grieve, mourn and move on. And so perhaps for those people, it makes it really difficult then to continue to try and get their needs met in the family. And they reach a point where they say, well, okay, I perhaps have contact with my family, but my emotional needs, I choose to get those met elsewhere through therapy, through relationships that are mutual with other people who can express their feelings and so forth. So could it be that someone who hasn't had their needs met in a family may end up feeling that they don't really belong because they've never had that security? Yeah, I think that's a really good way of putting it. So if we think about the family in isolation, if that person has grown up in a family where they don't really feel seen or heard, and there can be all sorts of reasons for that, then it is likely that they will feel wrong. And this is how children unconsciously protect the attachment relationships with their parents. They tend to make themselves a problem, which Mm. later translates into all sorts of potential mental health problems. So if there is nobody but the immediate family, then I think that can be really, really problematic. Now, quite often, and this is changing, but traditionally we might have had the nuclear family, we might have had an extended family, there might have been a strong community. And so therefore, even if things maybe weren't going quite as well as they needed to, within the nuclear family for a particular child. Well, there might have been a wider family. There might have been an aunt or uncle who really understand that, understood that child. Or that child might have got her needs met through the broader community, that there were children whose parents sort of looked out for her or attuned to her. So if we then think about increasingly where children are growing up without, well, first of all, increasingly without a nuclear family, but even in where children aren't growing up in a culture in the national sense other than their own. It's quite rare nowadays for children to grow up in the same street or the same village as their grandparents, for example, or their aunt and uncle. And this idea of community, I think, is becoming increasingly eroded. So it puts more and more onus on the family of origin, on the nuclear family, whatever that might look like, to provide all these needs for that child. And invariably, that's not easy for parents or indeed a single parent to do and if it does start to go wrong then it's almost like there's no safety net to catch that child yeah i see that quite a few people have said to me things i've heard you know people say things like they've met someone and it felt like coming home and i've always thought that was a really interesting phrase do you think that has something to do with belonging i think it does it's it's a lovely phrase isn't it meeting someone and feeling like you're coming home if somebody said that to me i think i'd be really curious in understanding what they meant by coming home 
because the way you phrased it and the tone you used, it sounded like something soft and gentle and mm. encompassing in a positive way. But of course, for many people coming home can feel abrasive and mm. jarring. So I wonder if coming home is a feeling of being seen, of being heard, of being recognised. We've often spoken about a feeling of belonging and why we're here, because we have foreign parents and we you were certainly brought up in lots of different countries and I often hear people saying things like on social media asking other people saying I've never really felt like I've belonged anywhere now I'm supposing that you can feel like you belong somewhere even if you travel a lot and have quite a lot of upheaval in childhood but that might make it more difficult Mm, I think that's a really interesting question and it's one that I've spent quite some time pondering. There is a term for children like myself which was coined around the 1950s and it's third culture kids and what that essentially means is a a child who's let's say born and bred in London, her parents come from London, family are in London or the, the, the wider region, that's a first culture kid. That child doesn't question where they come from, they don't question the culture they're born into. A second culture kid would be somebody who grows up in a host culture. So that might be somebody whose parents immigrated somewhere and that child is then born into that country and grows up in that country and becomes a part of that country. Third culture kids, which is what I am, is refers to children who have neither grown up in their home culture, and in my case it would be quite hard to define that anyway because I have parents, two parents from very different cultures, and nor was I embedded in ultimately what became my host culture, which was Portugal, because although I lived there for probably coming up to about 10 years, I lived there for two years after birth and then I lived there from the age of 12 to 19. So one could say, well, 12 to 19, that's enough time to embed in a culture. But because I was not of that country, because my father, who I moved to Portugal with, was not of that country, and I went to a British school in Portugal, it essentially then means that I'm neither of my host country, which is Portugal, I'm neither of my culture of origin, which arguably would be Anglo, Anglo-Dutch, And we, those of us who grow up in that sort of environment, develop this kind of third culture, which is, it's very difficult to find really. But in anticipating talking to you about this, I was thinking, well, okay, I have my experience, but what's the experience of other people who perhaps have had a similar one to me, but obviously with their own individual differences. And there's a WhatsApp group for my old school in Portugal. And I put the question out there. I said, well, I'm going to be having this conversation with Annalisa. And I'd be really interested in what your experience has been. And Mm. what I got back was was rather interesting because all of us have obviously got different families of origin and some of us arguably were very securely attached and some of us not so. But the pervasive message that came through was, yeah, whilst I value the fact that I'm able to move between these different cultures, actually it's very difficult for me to feel at home and feel a sense of belonging. Mm. And I think that's why this WhatsApp group and ultimately the meetups that we have sporadically and occasionally because we all live in different parts of the world happen is because whilst we might not see each other that often, there is this sense of kinship of, yeah, I know you, you're like me, you're a third culture kid, you know what it's like to not belong. So through that not belonging, we derive a sense of belonging, if that makes sense, a sort of a paradox in there, I think. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, because I'm a second culture kid. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that till you told me. I never feel completely comfortable in one place. So I was born in England to Italian parents. And although my home life was very stable in the sense that we didn't move, we went to Italy for quite a lot of time when I was very young. I never quite felt like I belonged in Italy. And I never completely feel like I belong here because I have no, I have no, I call it not roots. Interestingly, I think of it as a buffer. This is quite a recent thing because the majority of my family are in Italy and I'm, and I have a really big family in Italy, but I feel like my roots here are really solid and deep, but I feel like I have very little buffer if something goes wrong because I don't have very much family at all now left in this country. But also when I look back, I I definitely had this kind of weird feeling of not quite belonging, which is, sounds a bit indulgent given I had a very, really quite a secure childhood in many ways. But I remember I used to walk home from school or later from work and I'd look in to people's houses and if it was like autumn or winter and it was already dark and they'd had the lights on, and I always had this feeling of looking in. I mean, I was literally looking into their house, but <laughs> I always felt, I don't know, it was a, I can still feel the feeling of being a slight outsider. Does that make sense to you? It, it really does. And, and it's, it's, a, it's a feeling that's difficult to define. I don't think there is even necessarily one word that would encapsulate that feeling, but I think it is a common feeling in not just, you know, it's not just third culture kids. It's not like we can lay claim to that. But I think what you're talking about is this more profound sense of belonging and not belonging. And you have roots, but as you, I think the word you used was buffer, which I thought that, that's mm. a really apt word, isn't it? That there's almost, there's nothing really to fall back on. So you've got your family, you've got your home, you've grown up in one place, this sense of solidity, but then perhaps isn't a broader family to fall back on. And no. And then perhaps this is where the concept of, you know, myth comes into this. And and I use that word in a particular way, the sense of myth as a story of who we are, where we've come from. And, you know, each family has its myth. This is who we are as a family. This is where we've come from. This is, these are our values. And that then obviously broadens out to the culture. So if the majority of your family was over in Italy and there's a certain myth, there's a certain story of that family over there that isn't really reflected here, is it? So you're walking home from school and perhaps you're looking in and seeing this buffer around other children or at least imagining it that, well, they've perhaps got something that that you feel you miss out on. I think maybe what lies at the core of this is where a child grows up with that real sense of security with his or her parents, then they're likely to be able to adapt quite well and use that sense of cross-cultural difference, diversity, openness in a way that's positive. But if that buffer isn't there, so I certainly know that by the time I landed in Portugal, I'd been dragged through quite a few countries with a fairly unstable parent and I'd kind of given up. I thought, well, I'm not going to bother making friends now. I'm not going to bother trying to fit in. It's yet another school. You're always a new kid, aren't you, as well? I was always a new kid. I went to 10 schools growing up and the last one in Portugal was number 10. So by this point, I was thinking, do you know what? Forget about it. I'm not going to bother. I've tried to adapt to so many different countries and cultures and people that I'm just going to keep myself to myself and I'm sure this will get taken away. And it took many years for me to start to trust that 
oh, hang on a minute, maybe, maybe I can build something, maybe I can get a sense of some degree of belonging here. But of course, what's painful in that is that because it's a third culture environment, once school ended, it all sort of fell apart. People went off to university or jobs or whatever it might be in different parts of the world. And there wasn't really the sense of, well, this is this is where we all belong, because nobody really had that geographical sense of belonging. Their belonging was derived by the by virtue of being third culture kids. So I, I think I certainly found that very, very difficult. Yeah, that's really interesting. I mean, one of the things I've read was someone saying that whenever they went somewhere, number one, they always had to play someone else's games. They were always the new person. They were fitting with other people's rules. There was no sense of being there from the beginning because they were always joining kind of mid-term. But they also said they always they had to be a chameleon, which must, I mean, what must that feel like to always be the new kid, always feel like you have to fit in? I mean, you, it sounds like you tried that and then you stopped. What was the difference in your behaviour? I think I stopped because it was... It was emotionally, psychologically really draining. You know, I can remember moving to Canada as a kid and it's probably worth putting this into a time context as well because nowadays, you know, we've all, we're all connected, aren't we? But you know, back in, in the 80s and the early 90s, none of these systems existed. So you, I really did feel quite isolated. And I remember moving to Canada, being very excited and, you know, trying to adapt and, Thinking about different cultures, you know, Canada is not a million miles from the UK in terms of, of culture, but what I fast discovered there as a young boy was if I wasn't into ice hockey, couldn't skate, I was in trouble because that's all the other boys wanted to talk about. Mm. And being a British kid from a town where I didn't even think there was an ice rink, frankly, I didn't know the faintest thing about ice hockey and I couldn't skate. So, you know, it's not a, it's not a catastrophic problem by any by any stretch of the imagination, but it is a small indication of what one culture values over another. And so I think part of this idea of being a chameleon is trying to work out, okay, not only what are the rules with the other kids, what are the rules of the games here, but what's the rules of the culture? How am I supposed to behave? What's expected of me, you know? And how am I going to be treated? By the time I arrived in Portugal, you know, I'd been through various different school systems. So, yeah, I think when I eventually arrived in Portugal, my ability to play the chameleon had run out of juice, so to speak. And I, I just thought, you know what, I, I, I don't think I can be bothered anymore. God, it must be exhausting because also what you were saying earlier about how children internalise and make things their fault. So if something went wrong there, I'm guessing it must have felt it must have been very easy to feel like it was your fault rather than the situation's fault. Because mm. if everything is new and the rules are new, the situation might be wrong. But if something does go wrong, you think it's your fault. Is that a little bit what it felt like? I, th I think that's a really good way of putting it. And it emphasises how important it is to have this wider sense of family and community around one because I really only had as my primary relationship my father and wasn't an easy relationship and he was quite an unwell man psychologically in many ways so where things weren't going particularly well at home and I didn't feel like I fitted in and didn't I didn't know my way around I didn't know the culture the custom I didn't speak the language what's for me, the common denominator and all of that was, well, me, I'm, I'm the problem constantly. And that stayed with me for many years. And I think that that's true of many children. And so going back to, if we move away from this whole idea of growing up in a different culture, children who grow up in an environment where perhaps things have gone somewhat awry, 
with their parents or parents for whatever reason that might be. And there isn't a broader family around them who are holding them. There isn't a broader community. Then there's nobody to reflect back to that child. Do you know what? I know it's hard, but you're going to be okay, kid. Mm -hmm. And so that child will invariably make themselves the problem. And the problem, it starts with thinking of the problem. And then you make yourself the problem because you start to behave in ways that the outside world reflects back to you. Yeah, you really are the problem. You know? How could people have made you feel more like you belonged? And because I'm thinking that not just a kid starting at a new school, but what we're seeing now with refugees coming and... I can't imagine what it must be like to leave your home and know that you're never going to see it again, possibly never see your family again, feeling so displaced. And that's not something that happened to us. But if we can take some elements of that, I mean, how can we make people feel that they belong? It's a profound question, isn't it? Because I think it's so important that we are able to do that to help people feel that they belong and particularly young people the sense of identity and belonging is very much laid down in teenage years how do we help these people integrate but part of integration is also being curious about where they've come from what value systems do they have what matters to them where do they derive their sense of self-esteem and a more gentle process of educating immigrants around well well part of that is saying look this is our culture you know tell me about your culture i wonder where there's some crossover because there will be crossover because we're all human beings and culture doesn't matter how different a culture is to another culture the fundamental reason for why that culture exists is exactly the same it's in order to provide us with a sense of self-esteem and it's in order it's a symbolic structure which helps us cope with anxiety particularly death anxiety so I think it's difficult in answer to your question. It's a really it's a really difficult thing. I mean, I see so many people now, both as patients of mine, but also more broadly in society, who don't really have a sense of belonging because it's the function of a healthy culture to give people ways to find meaning-making propositions. What gives me meaning? What gives me purpose? Do you feel like you belong now? It depends. I feel... I feel moments of belonging rather than a sustained sense of belonging. I think something that took me many, many years to do, and maybe this is a story of not just third culture kids, but maybe this is to some extent the story of all immigrants, whether it's first generation, second generation, refugees, displaced people. Perhaps the price we end up paying is that we're never going to inherently find that sense of belonging, that one place where, ah, this is it, this this is the place I feel at home because it doesn't exist. Once those roots have been torn up, I'm not sure that they can grow quite as deep as they might once have. So I've had to build a sense of belonging and choose a sense of belonging. So actively to remain living in one place. You know, I, I live in a town uh, about eight miles from Brighton in southeast of England, and I've lived here now for 13 years it's coming up to. This is the longest I've ever lived anywhere in one stretch in my life. And I'm, you know, I'm in my late 40s. So that's been a conscious choice. And there's been a big part of me that has wanted to uproot itchy feet. Oh, I've had enough. Oh, maybe there's some maybe the grass is greener somewhere else. You know, why don't I move back to Portugal? Why not move here? Why not move there? And you know, my wife is very similar. She's also a third culture kid. And so at times we can both fall into these these pockets of 
yeah, come on, let's let let's get out of here. Let's do something different. So it, it's take a, taken a lot of effort for me to say no. I choose to belong here, and a lot of effort to build something. So there's always a sense of yeah, actually. I belong to a degree, but I also can ne- never fully belong because, you know, my formative years weren't here. And likewise, for me, when I go back to Portugal, there's a sense of, oh, yeah, I belong here, but I also don't belong here because mm. I've, I've not been there for so long. I often used to think about it. It almost felt like having a secret double life. Well, not secret, but it felt like having a double life because, I, you know, in the summer we'd go off to Italy and we'd do such different things. You know, I grew up in the centre of London or in the countryside but it did feel like having this whole other life and sometimes I guess it's quite good I definitely used to kind of play up the glamour of it all hold up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. We've also talked about people who sometimes, who've moved around a lot, who define not wanting to settle down. I don't know if you remember when we were researching a problem for my column. Mm -hmm. And they can say that, you know, they want the excitement of somewhere Mm -hmm. new. And we discussed that sometimes the excitement can, it's not really excitement, it's hiding a fear. You've very much settled. Mm. But some people who had a a very nomadic childhood go the other way and they never want to settle in one place what might be going on for them yeah I think that's that's a really good example and it's certainly one I can relate to personally but also through my peers and also in my work as a psychotherapist I think it can often seem very exciting to keep moving you know this idea of well I'm cosmopolitan and I can live anywhere I want and I can just change country and fit in no problem and of course a lot of that is true of people who have grown up as third culture kids and continue to move. Yeah, you're adaptable and you can live anywhere potentially. But I think it's very easy for human beings to confuse 
what I would, on one level, perhaps call trauma with excitement. I think you use the word fear, which is equally apt. It, to settle in one pace, to risk putting roots down can be terrifying for somebody who has been uprooted continually throughout their childhood or for a significant period of their childhood. And you might say, well, why would that be? Surely that's exactly what they want. Well, it might be exactly what they want. But on the other hand, if they risk allowing anywhere and anyone to matter, if they risk putting roots down, then it exposes them to vulnerability because it might just all get taken away again. Right. So far better to keep moving, far better to, you know, a rolling stone gathers no moss, so to speak. So in other words, I'm not going to gather any of these attachments. And this is interestingly from the research, one of the issues that has been highlighted with third culture kids and no doubt is replicated in the in some of the immigrant and refugee community as well in that third culture kids can find it really difficult to form deep relationships they're very good at doing the superficial stuff but to really allow somebody to matter that can be hard because well they've had so many experiences of being uprooted having to say goodbye to friends and loved ones and people who mattered and a community and a school etc etc that they develop this sort of distance from well I'm, I'm just not going to allow anybody or anything to matter that much and as long as I keep moving then life will seem interesting enough but I don't think we can continually keep moving and ultimately you know if we're thinking about well what really matters how do we how do we get a sustained sense of meaning and purpose and self-esteem allowing people to matter and being vulnerable in relationship and of course for displaced people whether that's as a result of you know being a third culture kid or being an immigrant or being a refugee i think allowing people to matter can be absolutely terrifying yes i think that sense of connection is really important i know that when i feel and perhaps this is relevant when I feel a bit down, I don't feel like going out. But when I do and I connect with people, I feel, <laughs> pardon the repetition, but I feel really connected to like my immediate surroundings. And I always think, gosh, I must remember this, that, you know, going out makes me feel good. And I remember during lockdown, when we were allowed out for a walk, if we bumped into someone we knew, the sense of familiarity and connection was really quite profound. So I guess if you don't have that, you know, the inverse is true, that you must feel quite unconnected. Do you think that fear of missing out has something to do with belonging? Mm. There's a wonderful writer called Joseph Campbell who talked about the speed of the world changing too fast for us to be able to cultivate and sustain a mythology. And I referenced myths earlier on, which is this sense of a consistent story of who we are and where we come from and where we belong. And I wonder if there is such a focus now on immediate gratification and getting it right and getting the best possible peak experience that the ordinary gets overlooked. So again, this is a word I use in practice quite a bit with people is how to live an ordinary life. And for most people, the word ordinary sounds positively ordinary. In other words, it doesn't sound very interesting, but I think it takes a lot of courage to build something that gives us a continued, sustained feed of meaning, purpose, love, relationship. And of course, that's not to be found in the world of immediate gratification, but it takes time to build it. So I think you might be right. I think this fear of missing out um, can draw us away from the ordinary and can promise something shiny and exciting. But ultimately, once the novelty is worn off, we're still left with ourselves, aren't we? Yes, we are. And if we don't feel we belong, we feel a little bit lost. 
we have to find our own sense of belonging if we don't have it ourselves. But it's not easy. I think some people feel that they've never really belonged anywhere. Or also as they grow up and they lose maybe what makes them, they start to feel they no longer belong. I think a lot of older people can start to feel that. So I suppose belonging is wrapped up with your self-esteem and your sense of purpose and your value to your society. I think you're absolutely right. I think belonging, culture, self-esteem are inextricably linked and self-esteem is creates, there's a direct inverse correlation with anxiety. So in other words, the healthier our self-esteem, the less anxiety, free-floating anxiety we tend to feel on a daily basis. So it has an incredibly important function. And I think we are all responsible for contributing to shaping and creating a society in which as many people as possible can derive self-esteem. So just to pick up on a really important point you just made, Annalisa, is you know, as people age, perhaps the the vehicles that they use in order to get meaning and self-esteem as a society fall away, not least they stop working. And particularly in Northern European cultures, you know, older people are not seen as wise or particularly useful. And we tend to, well, they certainly don't get much exposure in the media. And many of them end up living in either on their own or in care homes. And I don't think this is... I don't think it's healthy for society, but it's certainly not healthy for that population group either. Whereas if you look at countries like Italy or Greece or Southern Europe, you know, there is much more of this sense of integration within the family where people of the older generations are valued and they have a sense of purpose and meaning. So I think we all have a, a degree of responsibility in terms of thinking about, well, OK, what kind of society do I want to live in? And just because I can get some meaning, you know, how do I also take responsibility for other people getting meaning and purpose? So, Mark, if people are listening to this and a lot really resonates and they think, that's me, I've never really felt like I belong, what can they start doing to help themselves feel like they belong a bit more? Mm. I would suggest the first step in that is perhaps coming to terms with that sense of not belonging and why that might be and whether that's something that somebody can sort of work through themselves or, or with family or whether that's something that they work through with a psychotherapist. You know, either position is possible and it's going to be dependent on the individual. But ultimately, you know, the, the function of me as a psychotherapist isn't to tell somebody what to do, but it's to be help them get curious about what gives them a sense of fulfillment, meaning and purpose. And I think for the vast majority of us, I'm not going to say for every single one of us, but for the vast majority of us, you know, human beings are relational. We are born into relationship and we are incredibly dependent on relationship for certainly the first 18 odd years of life and arguably far longer than that. We also continue to need relationship throughout our lives in order to feel seen, in order to regulate our emotions. So there's a tiny minority who may feel that they don't need relationships, but most people need relationships. So I think what I would suggest to people is to think about finding people who might be like-minded now whether that's through joining a club whether that's through engaging in a particular sport whether that is through joining a reading group or whether that's you know a lot of the friends I've made locally have been through frankly through dog walking so through owning a dog and over years getting to know people and, and forming a, a community with those people so I think we're in trouble if we are isolated. So the key to a sense of belonging beyond 
you know, some of the, the wider cultural context we've spoken about is to feel seen and heard. And if we go back to the family of origin, that's feeling like we can express ourselves. So two person relationships where it isn't that you are in a relationship where you all think the same and believe the same and act the same, but it's relationships where there can be fluidity and difference and that there can be curiosity about that. I think that can be really important for people. And the second thing I would add is that I think we all have a responsibility to whatever degree to contribute to society. So work is really important and it's one of the main areas where we derive self-esteem. And even if somebody doesn't necessarily derive self-esteem from um, the, the world of salaried work or somebody's retired, you know, voluntary work can be really important as a vehicle through which to derive a sense of self-esteem, purpose and build a broader community. There are plenty of times where I think, oh, can I be bothered to see this friend or can I be bothered to reach out? And yet every time I do and I meet that person for a coffee or a meal or whatever it might be, I feel better. And why do I feel better? It's because there's a to and fro, not just of conversation, but of emotion, and I'm not on my own. So the buffer to all of this fundamentally, I think, is is comes down to relationship and finding a way to invest and derive self-esteem from the culture we live in. Yes, although I totally get what you're saying, but sometimes you meet up with someone and they make you feel worse. <laughs> 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 if it's not a health relationship. And also, yeah. again, this is entirely me, but I'm not good in big groups. I like one-on-one. I'm like lichen. I thrive <laughs> in very particular circumstances. <laughs> but I just I'm just wanted to say to any listeners, you know, it's like it's not always about joining groups. It's about finding what makes you feel good. And that could be joining a massive amateur dramatic group, which would be my idea of hell. Or it could just be a little connection with one other person or two other people. But I just go back to that word of connection. I just think it's so important. I used to say I really didn't need people growing Mm. up, but it was a defence mechanism. And I think everyone needs people, really. Mark, thank you so much. And Lisa, thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much to Mark. If you'd like to learn more about him and his work, Mark's website is brightonandhopsychotherapy.com. Let us know if you feel this episode has brought up any thoughts on belonging and what you think it means to belong. You can email us at conversationswithanalisa at gmail.com. The producer is Hester Kant. The music is by Toby Donham and our artwork is by Low Cole. If you'd like to read my column, it appears every Saturday in The Guardian Saturday magazine. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello 
Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello, this is Annalisa. I started doing this podcast because it's an idea I really believe in. So much so that I decided to put my money where my mouth is and self-fund the project. I really want to keep releasing this podcast for free. So if you enjoy this episode, a way you can help is to visit our ACAST supporter page and give what you can. You'll find the link in the episode description. Thank you.